Hey, what's up, friends? Welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. And today's podcast is sponsored by Mushy.com. Mushy is a practical, functional, stylish baby product company. They sell it all. Dinnerware, stacking cups, which I find to be lots of fun to do with my nephews. I'm no father. I am a funkel. Proud of it. Got two beautiful nephews, Binyamin and Mayer which is beautiful. My nephews, I share the same name as my nephew, which is so nice. Uh, And I find that they have incredible products on mushy.com that I could get my nephews to help out my sister with. They got pacifiers and bibs and swaddles. I've yet to learn the art of the swaddle, but I plan to do so, I guess, along a time when I actually go and learn how to change a diaper as well. Haven't done one yet. I know in my 30 years, but I, I, listen, one thing at a time, you know, I'm good when it comes to the fun. Once they start screaming and pampers, I hand them over. That is the beauty of being a funkel. <laughs> Mushy, uh, Mushy's products can be found in over 500 retail stores and it's incredible because they've grown so fast in just under three years. They started in 2018 and Levy and his wife Mushy, uh, ha- have created this brand, this community of people. When I say community, because they have over 10,000 members in their Facebook group, mothers who are supporting each other, who are sharing tips about this beautiful chapter in their lives. So please, if you're a mom, check them out on their Facebook page. Of course, um, if you are a new customer and you're a great day podcast listener, what's up? We got a discount for you. Mayor K25 can be used as a promo code when you check out for new customers. That's an M-E-I-R-K-A-Y 25, 25% off for you when you check out mushy.com. Do so. You'll love their stuff. Love to hear from you as well of what you think about the products. Now, of course, today we have a friend of mine. And uh, like any other uh, Great Day podcast uh, guest, there's always a lot of depth and wisdom to those who, who, who I try to bring on, you know, to bring some value, uh, to you, the listener, myself. I, I just try to bring on people who I just admire, who I, who I inspire and to grow and to learn from. And that Mushi Khan is one of those people. He's an addiction recovery life coach. Uh, he's guided me personally in more ways than one. And he's a deep, kind and gentle soul. Uh, he has so much to share and I wish we actually had more time to sit down when we did because we, I only feel like we just scraped a bit of all the incredible insight he has, but whatever we did get to is is gold. He uh, is a board member of Nishamas.org, which is an organization that's dedicated to creating a healthy inner life for youth. And he just launched his own podcast, the Nishamas podcast. So I highly recommend you checking that out as well when you have a chance. So Without further ado, let's jump right into this great day podcast with the one and only Mushi Khanin. Coach Mosh. That's me. That's you. <laughs> That's you. Just wanted to make sure that I'm sitting across the right person. Good to see you. We're sitting here in the uh, this really warm, feels like this warm bunker. In your in your home is this this is also your office? It's only my office. This is your office. Yeah, wonderful. It feels very safe. It feels very calm and quaint here. That's so, great. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the vibe <laughs> that's we're, we're getting. That's what we're looking for. That's what you're looking for. Good, good. Well, thanks for having me. Um, this is uh, I'm really excited for this podcast. We and I'm sure you remember. We go way back. We go, you know, 15 years ago. You were my shliach. You were my one of the older guys in the in the yeshiva I went to back in high school in, in yeah. Sterns. 
Yeah. Upstate New York. Yes, yes, yes. I remember. I could see you. I remember exactly. Yeah? Yeah. Yes, yes, Pre-beard, yes. before the beard, before Mary Kay, before the whole nine. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember that was, um, it was a interesting, it was a cool yeshiva because that was, um, I wonder, actually, I'm curious to know how your experience was there. For me, it was already my, by then it was, it was my second year in high school. It was my, my second attempt at going to high school. So I went to one yeshiva, I went to one high school after a few months, didn't work out, was home for the rest of the year. And then that year opened up the Stern. It was the first year of the high school and it was supposed to be a bit more cool and open-minded and less strict and a bit more colorful for kids who just weren't mainstream quote unquote. And uh, so I actually, the first year opened up, I tried it out for the first two months, the last two months of the, of the school year. And then it opened in the second year, I went for the full year. And for me, it wasn't that great actually. Um, do you remember that? that uh, I wonder if you, I, how, yeah, how, how was it for you? And do you, yeah, what was that experience like? That was, um, I could get into it later, but, um, yeah. I still have good relationships with a lot of the guys that were there. Yeah. I, I didn't think I was so capable or I was really qualified, but I was, I was teaching a little bit then. And there's, there's, there are a couple of guys, like when I see them in the street, they'll quote, certain things that I, I taught them mm. and I'll be like, whoa, okay, that's very humbling. Wow. And yeah, that's a big deal. And this is all while, I mean, we could get into it later, but yeah. like I well, was going through a ton of stuff now? behind the scenes. What was going behind the scenes? Well, the way you showed up in my life as, 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 you know, like this older guy, you know, the Shliach, you know, so you must be like 1920 yeah. at the time. So, oh, so like it's only four or five years older, but like in my state of mind, it seems like, you know, way older. It's sort of like going to camp and your counselor seems like he's like a billion years older than you are. And you're like, wait a second, you become a counselor, like, huh, we're like babies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, we weren't that close then. And like, I wasn't necessarily close with anybody in the, in that school at the time. I was, I was getting bullied at the, at, during that period of my life as well. So it wasn't, you really feel part of it, but uh, I got. But also, you guys were doing your own thing. I mean, I feel like it, it may have been like this double standard where I think guys in my class were smoking weed, and you may, you may have been taking that weed away and smoking it yourself. Um, but like, no, we had our own stash. Oh, you had your own stash. <laughs> <laughs> you had your own stash. Amazing. Uh, if Robert Stern's listening to this podcast, he may be having a heart attack. But uh, I hope uh, not. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, tell me. So, what was going on for you in, in that in that in that time of your life? Yeah, so I had a couple of things going on. Uh, number one is I wanted to have that experience. I wanted to help or like be there for younger guys. And I think we did to a certain extent. Like there were certain relationships I was able to build then, which continued until now. Um, there were those dancing on, on Saturday night on Matsi Shabbos. You remember we do the music and we yeah, dance? Sure. That was like a highlight. There was, you know, one on one times. There was. You know, waking the guys up. I used to take a CD that had, that was scratched, and I would stick it into the their little three CD s stereo piece, and yeah. I just hit play. Oh man, Dude, that was that was like one torture. room. That's like straight off from like the playbook of like Seals Torture. I, I was a very practical guy. It worked. <laughs> just get it done. Um, you know, I would try to have as much fun with it because you know, no, I mean, especially that age, these guys didn't want to wake up in the morning, so oh, uh, that was really good and. There was also the learning. I was also started doing smicha. It was like a, a rabbinic certification, you know. Yeah. So I was doing that too. Um, and then we had this whole other life going on across the street. Hmm. And across the street is where you guys were sleeping. Yeah, we were, were staying. And, I, you know, I'll just speak for, I'm only going to speak for myself. I mean, I'd love to get into the details about like what was going on. So basically, 
only a couple of months earlier was the first time I ever got introduced, not really introduced, the first time I ever tried smoking weed. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, I was already introduced to it from when I'm like 13, 14 years old, but I just never tried it. But right before I went there, a couple of months earlier is when the first time I tried it and very quickly became a daily smoker. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just like that. Just like that. Yeah. And, um, though people I, say weed's not really addictive, but, uh, I mean, I put words, do you feel like you were already addicted to that or? Would well, you I'll say? tell you what happened when I try to stop. And okay. I think anybody can come to come up with their own conclusion. Sure. Um, when I tried to stop, I found myself isolating a lot and I dove into religion. Chitas, Rambam, you know, uh, sitting there with a book. And just in case I get distracted or I start getting tired, I had a video playing of the Rebbe. And so in case I get distracted, I'll, I'll just look at that. So like there's no empty space. And I was trying to fill a, a, a void inside myself with anything that will make me feel better. So why do you think you started smoking weed or wh why do you think that, that that emptiness started coming up during that period of your life? 18, I think I think the reason why... It, it wasn't like it was coming up. It became so much more apparent to me okay. because we did that for me. We filled that or turned off that alarm system saying, hey, there's a void. And then smoke some weed and all of a sudden, hey, you know what? I, I know that there's a void, but right now I just don't care. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with it. So being able to experience that for an extended period of time, when I don't have it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is so painful. This is isolating. This is... Mm -hmm. So, what did you use to do that to, to numb your your voidness or your or your uncomfortability of existence before that period of time? There was definitely. I, I mean, I did I did do drinking, and um, I think I, I, there was many things. Like, mm -hmm. I share my story if anybody wants to. Like, just YouTube, yeah, YouTube. YouTube, yeah, YouTube. Just type in Moshechan, and so it's M O I S H E C H A N N I N, and. Uh, I have, I just basically share my story. So I, f I felt that void, yeah. not realizing that it's not normal from like, I'm way little, like mm -hmm. seven, eight. Oh, wow. And the first time I start figuring out ways to fill that, which for me, the void was, it expressed itself in ways like, I don't fit in. I don't feel like I'm part of my family. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I have to do things to compensate. And it started off with things like stealing, shoplifting, trying to buy things uh, to, to buy credibility, to buy self-esteem and mm -hmm. worth. Yeah. And then um, it eventually turned to like different unhealthy, addictive behaviors. And what am I addicted to? I'm addicted to turning that pain off. Mm -hmm. And what's right. the addiction? The addiction is not, has almost nothing to do with the actual substance. It has to do with how I feel when I don't have it. Right now in your life, I mean, you're, you come out, you're talking about addiction, and um, and you, it seems like you're very proud of that. It's part of who you are. Is that correct? I mean, I just don't, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you feel like now that's the world has shifted a lot more, like you feel a lot more comfortable coming out now? And how did that differ from 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Yeah. Um, when you were um, – yeah, when you, were, when you were acting out and doing, doing what you were doing. Yeah, so I think the conversation was happening somewhere. You know, I just wasn't in that environment. Mm -hmm. um, not only was I not in that environment, that environment basically wasn't, didn't really exist in my community, in my close proximity. Um, 
So it it wasn't something that it, like like Ellie Nash like says, you know, like shame was just attached to it and wherever it went, there was just shame attached to it. So it was like, I can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I can't talk about a feel, you know, I, I definitely like thinking about it now, I had a desire or I had a need to share or talk to somebody when I was younger. And I, I, I didn't feel like I had it. So talking about today, when, when, you know, sometimes people ask like, why, why would you do it? Aren't you scared? Do you like do the substances or like do what? Oh, talk about it oh, publicly. Okay. Aren't you like, aren't, uh, isn't the shame still attached to it? Aren't uh-huh. you scared that, uh, you know, being judged or being ostracizing yeah. yourself? Or? And the answer is, is that I've gotten, thank God, I've gotten to experience what it's like to bring hope to somebody. And when I, when I put it on a scale and I see the fear of what might happen and what does happen and I see happens as a result of me speaking publicly, like it just outweighs it, and I could have the fear and just do it anyway, and um, and I'm trying to open up more while I, I'm not just looking to just share myself with the world. I, I know I I just see what happens when I do, and it's so meaningful. I want to do more. Do you feel so? You went through the stage of um, you know progression of you know you're saying you're drinking, you're, you're using the types of substances. When did it get to a point where you realized, like, wait a second, this is not working for me anymore, and like, I gotta, I gotta find something else that's a bit more concrete to help me? Because I mean, with an addiction, right? I mean, those substances were helping you; they're actually keeping you alive; they're helping you function. I think a lot of people believe that when it comes to addiction and whether it's drugs or alcohol or any other type of substance, it's, it's, you know, it's bad. We gotta take it out of their life, which possibly is true, but people don't realize that that's also keeping the person alive, right? It's keeping the addict alive to be able to function, function in this world. So what is it that, you know, what, what kind of wake up call, what kind of bottom did you hit that sort of woke you up and said, okay, I got to pull myself together or pull myself out of this, this mess. Yeah. And, uh, I'll totally say that, but I love what you just said. I just want to actually give somebody like a visual of what it's like to experience that. If, if somebody lived in, uh, or had a bedroom and spent a full day with the air conditioner on and the air conditioner was noisy. And then all of a sudden, some person like just pulled out the plug. <sighs> that noise is all of a sudden, God, man, that feels good. Now I could concentrate. Now I could, I didn't realize how noisy it was until Chaotic. I finally pulled the plug, right? So, yeah, we do it to function because there's so much noise in our head, so many things and, and things telling us, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, this person's judging me. Oh, um, Social anxiety, all that type of stuff. But don't so, most people go have like these types of, I mean, don't we all have a voice in our head? Like what's the difference? That's what helps someone who isn't an addict, you know, to get into that, you know, to build some compassion, understand what someone's going through. Like what is the difference for that, for the addict or someone who's addicted to, um, that they need to use all these substances for that noise? Because again, like part of the human condition is to have that voice in their head. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. We all got voices. Yeah, yeah. At least all the people that I've talked to. <laughs> sure. Anybody who says, I told myself that I wasn't, oh, who, who told who? Right. Who's that person? Who's the I that told myself? Sure. Right. Um, so yeah, we all, we all have voices. And I think there's, there's quite a few different differences and there's actually, 
different opi- different opinions and like different schools of thought of like okay. how does it work attachment theory and connection like uh Joanne Harry talks about uh you could look at his TED talk the opposite of addiction is connection some of us just need it more but what what I, was, what, what what do you connect with what i connect with is the thing that Chase Tab did you interview Chase Tab? Yeah, 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 fantastic. The canary in the coal mine, did he talk yeah, about that? Totally, yeah, and you could definitely bring that up. You're referring to uh, his book, God of Our Understanding, where he talks about this. Uh, this piece. Yeah, he talks about uh, does he mention the canary in the coal mine? He does, okay, he does, he does. That's it's such a great book. I've bought it like probably 14 times. I bought it, yeah. and somebody I gave it to somebody, and then I bought it again. And just sure, oh, totally, a lot of wisdom. And you don't have to be an addict to really appreciate the, the wisdom within that book, 100%. As well. yeah. yeah, and um, so what's the difference between like why by addicts is it become like an addiction thing? You know what? I think we're just more sensitive and we just feel it more. And and those voices, just like voices, external external voices, will penetrate our 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 emotions and our insights more. The mm. same thing is our inner voices penetrate, and we feel them more. Mm. So we're just more feelers when it comes to these things. And for us, it has come to the point where we feel it so much that we'll be willing to do things that will harm other parts of ourselves, including loved ones, God forbid, and all that. That you know, because the pain is too great. Mm-hmm. The pain of feeling that so much. Right. For those of us to, to just bring back to what you were referring to about the, the canaries in the coal mine, Chase, Robert Chase Stapp talks about in his book, God of Understanding of how, you know, how these miners will go down to the, to, into the mines and there's toxic, you know, uh, fumes. Uh, fumes and whatnot. And mm-hmm. so to know when it's dangerous for them to, when they have to leave, they bring down canaries, which of course are a lot more sensitive and, uh, birds that come along with them. And once the canaries start to either show signs of distress or to start dying, they know, okay, the fumes are too bad and they have to leave. So I, I guess you're connecting that to the to idea of the human condition that addicts are, are just a bit more sensitive to, to the ways of life. And uh, they are those, the canaries and nothing to, do you find yourself sometimes or through that process of going to recovery, like just being upset, like why me victimizing yourself um, you know, what, you know, yeah. What, why, why did, was I chosen to, for this, uh, for this package, uh, this, this deal? Yeah. Um, I used to ask that question a lot. I stopped asking the question about that question about some parts of my life, but I still ask that question about other parts of uh-huh. my life. So I still have to process it there. Sure. But ultimately it's the question actually it, it it presented itself a little bit different for me. For me, it was, God, I'm trying to be good. Why are you making it so difficult for me? I've committed myself and I've recommitted myself. I'm trying to stop. Why are you making it difficult for me? You know? And in the area of alcohol and drugs and a lot of the therapeutic work that I've done, it has transformed from, uh, I'm so grateful that it's me because I get to be the one that is able to say the most magical words that people has have ever heard in their life at a certain point. And that is that I know what it feels like to be where you are. I can explain to you and, and describe to you how I've experienced it. And I want you to know that 
not only do I understand and I empathize and I've been there, there's hope for you because this is my story and this is what worked for me. There's hope for you too. You've been there. I've been there. You're in there. And, and, I can help you out. You know, like that story with the pit. Have you heard it? No. Uh, guys, um, there's a guy falls into a pit and somebody's walking by and sees the, see somebody in the pit. And he says, can you get me out of here? I don't know. I, I can't really figure out, you know, and, and basically different people are walking by. Nobody's coming to try to help him out until one guy, he shows, he just jumps into the pit with him and he's like, What'd you just do? Now, <laughs> now, now we're both stuck in yeah, here. No, right. Now we're both stuck. So he says, "Don't worry about it. I've been in this pit before, and I'll show you how I got out. Mm. And let's get out together." That's what it is. The honor, the spiritual fulfillment, emotional fulfillment that I'm able to experience from something like that is, uh, is so worth it, and it answers all those questions of why me. So, I mean, you grew up in an Orthodox home and religious home. Yeah. Um, so obviously God was all part of that upbringing. Mm-hmm. So was there a point in time where you just didn't, did you realize you just didn't believe in God? Cause I mean, God, you know, cause you're talking about this new, this God and believing and, and asking God and you, all this is coming conversation. So you were brought up, did you lose it somehow? Or did you just rediscover in a whole nother new level? What was that process like? I love that question. The, um, what I believed, I believed in God. I didn't think that I deserved God's mercy. I had a lot of guilt and shame and I've done things that I I felt like would make me not deserve. So on one hand, I'm trying to do good things. Why don't you help me? I'm trying to do, I'm trying to repent. I'm trying to return. I'm trying to, why don't you help me? But on the other hand, like when I'm, anytime I'm not trying, I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's mercy. And I don't believe he will help me. And that's where the spirit comes from. So I did believe in God. I just didn't think he thought I was worthy of it. Mm-hmm. What about someone who doesn't believe in God, but who finds himself or she finds himself in this space of confusion, in the pit, addiction? For me, yes, God is God and spirituality has been the one most effective and probably the only effective thing to help me. And uh, if somebody, if somebody doesn't believe, I try to have um, a very practical conversation with the person, you know, because ultimately we believe, what do we believe in? You know, it's either I believe that there is no God. So that means I believe that there is no God. So I, I believe, I try to ask the question of, is it you? Are you, are you running the show is everything that you have and everything that you are and everything that everybody else is. Is it you? It's not you. Okay, great. Have you tried everything you possibly can to find your own solution? Yeah. Okay. Are you willing to try something else that worked for somebody else? Especially since you seem to have a similar internal experience of life. If you're willing to, then come do what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, try this out. Try something new. Try it out. It worked even, for me. It could work for you. Yeah, and it, even if you may not believe in God, but do you believe me when I tell you that it worked for me? Possibly, you could even be um, 
you're right now you're believing in the substance you 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 believe in this that it's helping you perhaps shift your belief from this to something else yeah just like when the first time you ever tried a drug or the yeah. first time you ever drank i don't know what it's going to do to me oh let me try it mhm all right go into that into that adventure into that abyss yeah are you finding a trend when it comes to the to why people or may fall into this space or what triggers it? Is it important to know why to figure out that genesis of time and place of who may have done what to you or circumstance to help with one's recovery or to figure out, you know, yeah, to a path of redemption? Are you asking like, why do people become addicts and what's the solution? That's a question, but I think, I mean, we touched on that in a way, why, because, I mean, the, the addict is more sensitive to, to yeah, the condition. So, but I'm saying, is, is it important, is it important to, to figure out, you know, to do that, to do work, to figure out where that may have started and happened or what may have triggered that? May, whether it was, you know, some sort of childhood trauma, was it abuse? Was it, you know, who knows? Was it some sort of bullying? Um, does that, does, is that, is that really important or, it's more about just the fact is here you are now doesn't make a really difference. Just get, just do the work, get it done. Yeah. I think I'll be able to answer that by just giving you a little bit of a, of an idea of, of a lot of the work that I'm doing now. Okay. In addition to the coaching that I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work on myself in, on different levels, um, on a 12 step level, on a therapy level and on a Jewish level, which what I've gotten to experience and I'm so grateful to is I've been able to see how all three are basically trying to do the same thing and I could take the same actions and be able to accomplish all three. Mm. Right. 12 step says how it works. It doesn't say why it works. Right. So do this. It worked for me. It could work for you. Just do it. Therapy, which the biggest therapy that I'm doing now is internal family systems therapy, which explains how, just like character defects in the 12 steps, I recommend anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about to just look it up. There are things that separate me or there are parts of me that separate me. So separate me from others. So let's say, for example, if we go back to the Johan Harry theory, which says that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Human so, connection. Human connection or even connection with God. Okay. But there are things that separate me from others, which make me feel isolated, which is painful to feel isolated. So if I harmed somebody else and I keep crossing the street, not seeing them, that means there's something separating me from them. If I have fear, social anxiety, or if I have fear of people, that will keep me distant from them. If I have even a fear of God or fear of believing in, in him, Fear is going to separate me from others, and and so is so is resentment. Like if I if I hate you know if I if I'm angry at somebody, it's going to make me want to avoid them. Or if I'm angry at God, it's going to make me avoid Him, because to be close to Him is painful, and fear is painful, guilt is painful, shame is painful. Um, so if all I need is connection, I want to connect with others. What, if what happens when I step, take these things away, it's connection, then maybe that's the answer. You know, I, I, I want to connect with others. So on the 12 step level, I want to identify what are the things that separate me from others and then 
try to be relieved from them one at a time or all of them at a time. On a therapeutic level, like internal family systems, I actually engage in conversation with those parts of me. So we were talking about, oh, I told myself something, right? Or we have the voice in our head. So what is what are the conversations today that I have? Like I'll give you an example. So like I I'll tell myself I'm so clumsy. I'm not capable. Then I'll have another part of me who will say, why are you telling yourself that? Or, yeah, I, I've had this conversation a lot. So I think it's very important to say it like this. I'm in so much pain. But I have, I know exactly what I need to do to get out of this pain. Why don't I do it? And then I have a voice in me when I, when I commit to doing it. Why don't I do it? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just, why can't I just do it? So there's like, this hurt person inside me. There's this critic inside me. There's another part of me that's saying, okay, this is getting way too much. Let's do something to get rid of this argument. Mm -hmm. I can't say. So there's a third part that's going to say, okay, let's go numb out because this is way too. So I have all these different parts of me. The therapy work is to have a conversation and build a, a trusting relationship with these parts of ourselves to heal. Because what happens is mm -hmm. I have a conversation with this part and I'll say, Hey, part that wants to numb out. Do you mind to just stop for a second? I know you want to just pull pull the the latch down and turn off all the lights on this, but can do you mind to just leave it for just a second so we can have a conversation with one of these other parts? Okay, great. And this is like a meditation. I'll do it with my therapist and we'll try to have a conversation with this part that's like being a critic. We'll say, "Hey, you're criticizing, right?" I trust that you're trying to look out for my best interest. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. So what are you afraid might happen if you don't criticize? And asking it in that language allows the inner child, allows the part, the exile, the part that's really hurting to be seen and be, you know, like, so the critic can very well be a part of me that can't stand. Let's say, so let's say I ask the critic, like, why are you criticizing? And he'll say, if I don't criticize, then there's going to be pain. It, then, you know, if I don't criticize, then this part of me that needs to do the, the work to heal is not going to do the work and there's going to be more pain. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's in each one of those voices or parts of you, or ultimately is trying to benefit you in yes. their own way, but yes. too much of anything or not being in tune with that, it could drive one, one drive you crazy. Yeah. As, and these are, these are mechanisms that we developed according to this, to the theory of this therapy. Yeah. These, these were, we, these were developed when we were much younger. Mm -hmm. So if I can let that part be heard, be, express itself, then this is what really happens. And this is, I hope people can, can grasp this, but basically when there's a me that's noticing these parts, it allows me, that's the, that's the uncovering of the true me. So that's the uncovering of connection. I get connected with the true me because every time I see, I say, I am fearful. I am careful. I'm identifying as being something, yeah. but I'm, I'm identifying as being only a small part of me. When there's an observer that's noticing all these parts, I get to connect with the true me. So what happens to the 12 steps is that I get to strip all that stuff and I get to see the, the true me. Through this therapy work, I get to, to identify all these parts, but what I really identify is who's the real me. And then to round off just the the um, 
the religious part and the Hasidus is, I, I believe that if you interviewed Simon, he'll probably also would have talked about this, yeah. is the idea of like, who's the real me? You know, and when I say I need something. Who's the I? Who's the I? Yeah. And what I learned is, is that the true I is really my soul and my soul is a piece of God and God doesn't need anything. So it's not like, oh, I don't need to do anything. Let me sit on my couch and do nothing. No, if there's an I and the true I is my wife's husband, how can I show up as a piece of God? You know, or am I just a fearful, defensive human being that's limited and cannot provide to my wife what she needs? Those are my thoughts. What do you think? I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. We, uh, we have a, a few more minutes. So I want to quickly just delve into this and see how, you know, you know, besides the journey that you just shared with us, you also now have taken your experience and you moved into coaching. Yeah. Uh, personal coaching, private coaching. And I wanted to share a bit of the work that you've been doing in that space. And, um, and of course, Nishamas, uh, Nishamas.org, Nishamas, the organization that you started as well. So just give me quickly just a bit of, a bit, yeah, delve into that for a bit for me. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I decided to become a life coach a few years ago when I had a conversation with somebody who was a life coach. And when she described it to me, she got, like, she was explaining, like, wow, dude, you have it. You have it in you. What's just, that? What's, just come get, get is some. Is that experience? Is that. Just the way you talk, you just go looking. You yeah. Look at like what 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 do you have? There was there was something in the conversation that she yeah. saw. She's like, "Wow, this is life coaching material." Mm -hmm. It felt good to hear that, as well as I was really excited about the idea, and it was a training that I could take that give me a method. I've always been like the type of guy that just people like felt comfortable talking to, and, I, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm humbled by that. I feel like everybody's a life coach today, right? I mean, I feel like it's what what does that process even look like to to become one and. Uh, do you feel like that's being that it's so easy accessible to become a life coach or is it that it sort of cheapens that profession? Very possibly, very possibly. And I think anybody technically could be a life coach. Um, for me, my, my experience was that I learned methods and just formats to follow that can help somebody who is, who shows up saying, I want to change something in my life. I want to be something else in my life. or I want to stop doing something else in my, in my life. I have a format to follow. I can learn techniques and things like that. And what I learned as part of the training, which is great, they were saying like, trust your gut and, 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 and go with that, which was very important for me to hear also. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was the training. So I started off by just like putting up a Facebook post saying, hey guys, Part of my training is I need a coach. Does anybody want some free coach chain, you know, coaching? And that's how I started. And slowly through referrals, mm -hmm. um, I started doing that. And Nishamas is a local Crown Heights organization, which was formed due to the too many tragedies that were happening in our community due to untreated mental illnesses. And we discovered that the most powerful and affordable an effective way of helping that would be through empowering our community and not just individuals, but empowering everybody by educating them. What is addiction? What is mental illness? What is depression? What is anxiety? What is it? How you can see what it is and how you can change your behavior, how you react to it as outsiders, as well as people who are experiencing it. You can hear personal experiences from others who have recovered from that hopelessness and how they did it. So education, parents, teachers, schools, individuals, teens, as much as possible, that's what Nishamas is 
uh, mission is, which is why I started uh, doing my own podcast, which is going to be really soon. Yeah. Amazing. Neshamas meaning souls. Um, yeah. I love that. I love it. I've been to uh, a Neshamas event myself and it was truly amazing. It was a packed house, hundreds of people there. And uh, it was a conversation that I don't think ever took place in the community here in Credence, Brooklyn, New York. Um, breaking down stigmas, hearing straight from people's experiences of what the everything, what it was like, what it feels like, what, and opening up, I think, a, a room and space for compassion, for understanding, and um, yeah, less shame, less guilt, and just saying, hey, you know, I can relate to that story, or perhaps I haven't had those those specific things happen to me. I care about this person, and uh, let me show up for them, let me support them, let me see what can we do to uh, to help. Help in, help in my own way. So that's really um, that's really incredible. For someone who's listening now, um, what kind of advice can you give them or share to help them get through perhaps a tough time? If someone's finding themselves in, in a dark place, in the pit, what immediate steps can they take right now to a, to know for themselves and what actions they take to to get out of that pit? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things, and I'll try to say it as quickly as possible. If you have somebody in your life that you trust and it may be a little risky, but you know that at the end of the day, you'll be okay. Like just open up with somebody. I think the most tragic thing that happens about people who are living with internal pain is that we just keep it to ourselves, even physical pain. Like I, I talked to, to somebody who had like a physical illness and it was so, it was shameful. So he never really, he didn't go to help get help for a long time. So just take the shame away. And the way we take the shame away is by just taking it out of isolation. And that's the big part of what Neshamas wants to do. Take, just dis, detach the shame from it mm-hmm. and take the isolation out of it. Because it's it's so painful to go through a painful experience alone. Yeah, totally. So if you have somebody in your life, please just give it a shot. Give people a shot. Um, and if if you don't or if you don't, you're not ready. This is an exercise that I, I, I invite a lot of people to do. Would you, I asked them this question, would you be willing to give yourself permission to imagine that for right now, at this moment, or for the next five minutes, I actually have no issues in my life? A lot of people are like, but I do. And when I close my eyes and I start thinking about that, I see that I do have issues. Anytime I see myself as somebody who has issues, I try to ask myself that question. Am I willing to just allow myself, just imagine, just imagine, I'm, hello, hello, uh, self image. Do you mind to just take a minute? Just let us just do this thing here where we're just going to uh, imagine what life would be like if I didn't have any issues just for a couple minutes. What that does is it opens up the possibilities. Because right now, everything that we're experiencing here in life, which this is a lot of the work that I'm doing, like in Hasidus, like I'm experiencing life based on my perception. That's how I'm experiencing it, based on my knowledge and based on my experience until today and the way I see it. Mm. Just like an artist who sees a painting and uh, a musician that sees a painting, they're both going to experience a different experience. So really the darkness... And the experience of it, it's, it's all in my head. I was talking to somebody recently and I asked him, like, what's the, where's the darkest place in this world? It's in our head. Because there's somebody else that could see the same thing and see opportunity. There's somebody else that, you know. So 
if I just give myself the permission to imagine that everything's okay and everything's going to be okay and try to practice that more often, or ask, just challenge these beliefs, challenge my beliefs or not even challenge it. Just ask, Hey, belief, do you mind to step aside just for a couple minutes and let possibility open up, which in Chassidus, that's Chachma, Koyach Ma, the power, Koyach means power of what? which in the actual meaning of the word is intellect, but like, where do I get to step out of my perception of the way I'm experiencing life? I step out of it by questioning it and saying, what if, or is it possible? Well, I give myself the permission to imagine I'm opening it up. I'm giving myself permission. I'm surrendering the way I see life now to the belief that everything's okay. And that's, that's, that means that, Everything is divine providence. There's a God that's running the world and everything's really okay. And it's just the way I'm seeing it is bad. And then somebody will come back, but there's bad, there's evil in the world. But it could be okay for you for two minutes in a day to experience life okay. And so that's what I'm inviting people to try. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Moshe, appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing journey. We'll have to have you back on the podcast. Uh, definitely not enough time to delve into more of uh, who you are, what you are, what you stand for, and how you're showing up in this world. Where can people find more about yourself and your coaching? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, uh, chewablegoals.com is my website. On Instagram, I'm Coach Moshe, so M-O-I-S-H-E, Coach Moshe. And uh yeah, website? I mean, website is Chewable, Chewable. Goals. And, Beautiful. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you if anybody has any comments on this. I'd love to hear from you guys. Thank you, Mayor. I really appreciate it, man. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for having us. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Mushy Khan on the Great Day Podcast. And thank you, Mushy, for supporting this podcast episode. Check out Mushy.com or on Instagram, Mushy underscore co. And you can join uh, over 700,000 700, followers on their page there. Quite amazing for a pretty new baby company. And their products are truly fantastic. I love the feelings poster. I'm a fan of it. I love it. Check it out amongst all the other stuff they got on their website. Thank you so much for listening again. Like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor Kay and have a great day.